and welcome. Old timers, new timers, welcome. Uh, it's great to be here in the house of the Lord because God is awesome and one day we'll see him face to face. I look forward to that. Uh, so anyways, I'm back by uh, popular indifference because uh, <laughs> nobody else would volunteer. So thank you for your support. Um, some of you were here last uh, time when I spoke back in November, and I'm sure you all remember I talked about squirrels. I just want to assure you that I'm still concerned about squirrels, although Alex tells me they're mounting a revolt, attacking our power stations and uh, shorting out circuits. But the reason I talked about squirrels is because uh, they are actually suffering because of the sin of man. They're innocent victims, and they suffer. But one day they will be rescued um, because Jesus will vanquish our sin. Uh, but today will be a squirrel-free discussion. So, Interestingly enough, though, I was watching TV uh, last week and somebody presented a top ten list, top ten hottest words to, to pronounce. And number one was Worcestershire. And, you know, that's, I guess that's a, it, it's easier to pronounce if you're not looking at the word. If you look at the word, it's, it's hard to, but if, but the second word, strangely enough, was squirrel. And uh, I think squirrels was easy to pronounce, so I don't know why it was on there. Uh, but whenever uh, Rich asked me to teach, it's always about the topic. What are we going to talk about? And for me, it is always, what am I already thinking about? I don't want to just open the Bible and, and put my finger on a verse, I, like, I just, what am I thinking about? And there are a lot of things that I think about I'm not going to share. Uh, you don't want to know. But uh, seriously, w one thing I've been thinking about for quite some time is what is the meaning of life? And that, if you ask that question, I actually thought about going out and interviewing people, you know, with a microphone, you know, what's the meaning of life? But I didn't want to get punched in the nose. So I didn't do that. If you ask that question, it probably, it's going to mean different things to different people. There are 7 billion approximately people in this world. And if you ask those 7 billion people, you probably get 7 billion different answers because it's going to mean whatever it means to you. But the reason I ask that question is because I get the impression that a lot of people don't really have any clue about life or its meaning. And there are many different classifications. We can separate people by gender, by race, by country, you know, by physical characteristics, state, religion, so many ways, hobbies, whatever, that we can separate people into, into groups. Uh, but basically, we can separate these seven billion people into two different groups. Now, I could, Rich always asks questions, who are those, you know, I could ask you a question, uh, I never answer those questions because I don't want to look foolish when I'm wrong. But So I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to make it easy today. There are basically two groups of people in the world, sheep and goats. Now, in Matthew 25, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So God is going to separate 
the populace of the world, the population, when they stand before him into two different groups. And so it's important to be in the right group. The goats, it's not a good group to be in because they will be judged. Um, we want to be in the sheep, on the sheep side. We're sheep because Jesus is our shepherd, okay? So I was thinking about this life situation thing here, and um, I think basically you can represent life by a formula of, of symbols. And what I'm hoping is that those symbols will show up there. I don't know if I have to do it or if somebody can do that for me. There you go. Okay. Back in the 60s, the early 60s, 1965, around there, I was two years old at the time, but people tell me about this. There was a show on TV. What's so funny? Well, there was a show on TV called Ben Casey. You know, Vince Edwards, Sam Jaffe. It was, a, it was like a medical show. You know, Dr. Ben Casey, very popular. And I always liked the openings, very intriguing. Sam Jaffe played Dr. Zorber, and it would open up, the camera would be on a blackboard, and he'd be standing off to the side, and he would write these five symbols down. The thing with an arrow in its head, that's, that's man. Men, men are described with arrows in our heads. I'm not sure what that means. Man, woman, that's a symbol for birth. The cross is a symbol for death. You know, we put crosses on gravestones. And that's the sign for uh, infinity, which I think eternity fits there. So man, woman, birth, death, infinity. That's, that's the meaning of life. You're born either a man or a woman, although today we have a lot of different other classifications. People want to be whatever they want to be. So you're either a man or a woman, you're born, and then eventually you die, and then is eternity. And what I don't understand is why so many people just get up in the morning, they go out and do their thing, and they never consider the eternity. Where do they think they're going? You know, do you, you never stop and ask a question? I don't get it. But that's my opinion or my observation of what seems to be going on. And if you try to talk to some people, it's like, oh, no, no please don't tell me that. I don't want to know. It's like some people are sick and they don't go to the doctor because that, that means they want, they're not sick. If, he, if, a, if they don't go to a doctor and the doctor doesn't tell them they're sick, they're fine. And then, you know, later on they die because they find out they're really sick. Now, this formula, we can, we can adjust this formula. Be ready, guys. By the way, thanks. Thank you, Dan. Dan produced these graphics. Without Dan, uh, take a bow. No. Uh, we can adjust this for those two different groups. So I'm hoping that we can flip that slide. Okay. Now, here's the goats. This is their formula right here. Same thing, man, woman, and you're born. But now we have two crosses, okay, because... You not only suffer the first death, your physical death, but even worse, you suffer spiritual death, the second death. And uh, I'm going to read a verse uh, in 21.8. Revelation 21.8 says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. 
Now, what it also doesn't say in that verse is, you're generally nice people, kind, good-hearted, good works, doing people, never hurt anybody in their life, unfortunately face a second death too because it's not about works. It's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus, only about Jesus. And unfortunately, God cannot dwell with sin of any shape or form. If we could move on to the sheep slide. Aha, that's cool. So man, woman, now we have born once by physical birth, born again, only die once. Uh, Revelation 3, John, excuse me, John 3, 3, I'm sure you're all familiar with when Nicodemus went to Jesus and wanted to know how he could get to heaven. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You need to be born of the, you need to be born physically or you can't be saved. But your spirit needs to be born again. And that happens through believing in the work of Christ on the cross, being born again. Now also, each group is on a different road. You've heard about that. There are two roads. You remember uh, uh, the song by Led Zeppelin, you know, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change your road that you're on. Such a great line, it's a shame it was wasted in that song. There, you, there's still time to change the road you're on. You have, right up until your last breath, you can change the road you're on. Now, the goats, they, got a, they have this fantastic 10-lane freeway, no speed limit. You can go as fast as you can, and that's what they're doing. If you've been on 95, you know, during rush hour, you know, everybody's doing 90 miles an hour. They're in a hurry to get somewhere. Where the, where the sheep, we're just meandering around on this, this little grass, you know, roadway. It's not even paved. You know, sometimes we've got to beat back some brush, but we're just meandering along. <coughs> Excuse me. That was awful. Uh, now, Jesus says about the, uh, these two different roads uh, in Matthew 7, 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That is very troubling, and I don't really understand why so many people choose the wide road. And it seems to me to be a choice. It's not just, uh, they're not just over there, oh, I had no idea. It's because uh, they ha we have a sinful nature, and we want to please that sinful nature. We want to do whatever it is we want to do. Now, that's not God's will. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. God, it's not God's will that people perish. God, Jesus came and gave his life. He shed his blood in John 3, 16, God so loved the whole world. He died for everyone. So why are they over there? I, their indifference really is troubling, especially when you, when you talk to you know, friends or loved ones. Um, quite honestly, there's some people I'm quite content to leave them there, and that's really not a good attitude. I figure, you want to be over there, it's okay with me. Go right ahead. 
But that's not what our uh, commission is for. We need to go out there and uh, rescue them. And so, anyways, back to eternity and the meaning of life. You know, so the goats may have their way of answering that. The sheep may have our, their, our way of answering it. Uh, but again, it's a, the basic sinful nature that has to be overcome that keeps people on that wide road. So I was thinking about, you know, the freeway. You know, you go down the freeway, you get on 95, and there are, all, there are signs over the place, you know, entering Cranston, you know, Warwick, you know, next five exits, you know, get off here at Jefferson Boulevard. There are all sorts of signs letting know, you know, now we have GPS still that helps you, you know, tells you where you are, where you're going, where you've been, you know, how to get there. So you can imagine people on this uh, imaginary wide road. Imagine taking a trip across country, and you say, well, I'm not going to take the main roads. I'm going to try a different, a different road. You know, and some, some roads in the Midwest and Texas like that, you can go out for miles and miles, and there's no scenery. But you can imagine driving down a road, and, and you see a green sign up ahead. When you get there, it's just question marks. That's all it says, question marks. So you don't know where you are. You know, another sign comes up, question marks. So I don't know where I am, and I don't know where I'm going. But, eh. Who cares? I'll just keep going. I don't understand that. From the time I was very young, I knew there was something about life, you know? And I wanted to find out what it was. It took me a while to get there. I tried a lot of different things. But I was searching. I was looking for God. I was looking for the answer. They don't seem to be looking. And like I said, when you talk to them, they don't seem to care. Uh, But it isn't our job to care whether they care or not. Our commission is to go and give their life meaning. At least give them the message. Then it's up to them. They can choose to accept it or reject it. So, uh, for the church, that is our meaning in life. Now, we have things that mean a lot to us. Family, friends, job, you know, our home, whatever. Those give our life meaning, but that's, that's not the meaning of a life for Christians. What's more important is what is our purpose. And God has a purpose and a plan for our life. And we have to be like the AAA. We have to go out on the road and rescue those that are lost. Now, I was thinking, you think about ministries that go out and, uh, and help people. I was thinking, because of the freeway analogy, I was thinking about U-turn for Christ. And you think about it, you know, people out there on the road to destruction, and there are people that help them say, hey, look, you got to turn around. you got to turn your life around. Yeah, this is destruction this way. You need to turn around and go the other way. And so I was thinking, you know, if we start a ministry uh, like that, we don't want to steal their name. We need to come up with our own name. So the name of my ministry would be Get Off the Next Exit. (laughs) Now, the thing with the wide road, as it stands, there are no exits. There are no exits. There's no way to get off until somebody comes and tells you about Jesus. And then, bang, there's an exit, right? It says, get off here. Get off now. Lights flashing. Get off. So that's our new ministry. Get off at the next exit. So anyway, so our purpose as Christians is to go out and rescue people. Our purpose is Christ. Christ is life. Christ is our purpose. Now, all those other things are fine. Family, friends, work, whatever. Those are good things. God blesses us. We can enjoy those things. 
But as a church, as a Christian, we have to have a plan and a purpose and a direction. And that's to tell people about Jesus. In Jeremiah 29, 11, a very familiar verse. Now, this is to the Jews. But God's word is transcendental. It, it, God has principles that are established. And even though this is to the Jews, I think we can translate it to Christians, to believers. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. So God has plans for us. Now, sin makes a mess of things, and we are affected by sin, either directly, indirectly, our fault, not our fault. We live in a sinful world, and we are affected by sin. But God has plans for us, and he knows what they are, and his plans are for us to prosper. That doesn't mean we're automatically going to be rich. There's different ways of uh, prospering, but he has plans for us to, to prosper, not to harm us, to give us hope. What is better? What is a life with no hope? Very tragic, very sad. So we have to ask a question, are God's plans for us our plans? You know, we have plans, well, you know, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this, and my day's really busy, <coughs> and then the end of the day comes and Oh, yeah, I forgot about God. I didn't really have time for you uh, today. Uh, we need to try to make time for God, uh, make him part of our life, because he is our life. Now, God's plans for us and for the church are, as you all know, uh, clearly defined in the book of Acts. So we're going to look at uh, some verses in Acts. That's the logical a uh, place to, uh, to begin. Now, if you remember, uh, previous to Jesus' uh, death, burial, and resurrection, um, Jesus was walking on earth. He's teaching his disciples. And you could see there are times when they would, for instance, Peter would speak up and make a fool of himself uh, because he was not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really, really is a tremendous gift from God. He really, really helps us. And so when Jesus went away, he sent the Comforter to help us. So the Holy Spirit has come in to the church, and you'll see a new and improved uh, Peter. And in, in Acts chapter 2, I mean, he just gives a, a, an amazing sermon to these Jews, and basically what he's telling them, he gives them the whole story of what went on. <coughs> Excuse me. And then basically lays it on them. And the same Jesus you crucified and killed. And they were cut to the heart. It's always like, you know, wow, we killed Jesus. Uh, so the Holy Spirit has come. And uh, now this, so the church is alive. The church begins there in Acts. And that's where we begin our life as the church. And uh, just some amazing uh, verses there that we'll look at in Acts chapter 2, um, 14 through 35 is uh, Peter's uh, sermon, just an awesome uh, message to the people. And then it was in verse 36 that he said, Therefore, little Israel, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So they were cut to the heart. And then... In verses 37 through 41, 
it goes on to tell uh, about, you know, the message of Peter, repent and be baptized, every one, in you, or every one of you, in the name of Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the, the power uh, to uh, teach the word, to, to, to tell people the good news. He empowers us. It's God who does the work. He's looking for vessels, for vehicles to drive down that road. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so now we come to Acts 2.42. Now that's, uh, that scripture is in our bulletin, and it talks about the early church. In Acts 2.42, you're all familiar with these, probably, uh, you know, Rich has read them many times. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he has had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So they devoted themselves. Now, circumstances, I'm sure, were different. Uh, it's not as easy for us just to get up every morning and spend all day in church. We have obligations. We have jobs. We have families. Uh, so, so the church here was getting going. I think the circumstances were a little different, but I think we can take a good lesson uh, from them, at least just to uh, partition out uh, a, a segment of our day where we can acknowledge God and, and speak with him, pray with him, and look at his word. But it says they devoted themselves, which is having a strong uh, love uh, or loyalty for, and so I don't know... Uh, do we devote ourselves to the Word of God? Do we devote ourselves to pr prayer? Do we devote ourselves to Jesus? I think we can get overly caught up in the world and uh, God becomes predominantly second place. Uh, so it's a constant struggle for all of us, uh, but I think we, we need to constantly uh, be upgraded and have, you know, uh, re just re-empowering re our, our faith and our walk with Christ. Uh, and, and, and renewing in our spirit the fact that we need to spend more time with him. So what did they devote themselves to? Okay, uh, the apostles' teaching. Well, back uh, then, uh, they didn't really have a written word. They had the Old Testament written, uh, but the New Testament was not yet written. So they relied on uh, teaching people that had seen Jesus or had been with Jesus and uh, or people who had passed on stories. So they wanted to get together. They wanted to know what happened. Tell us, what did you see? What did you hear? What happened? And so this is how the word of God uh, began to uh, take place. But they devoted themselves to uh, the word of God. And uh, I just uh, have a few verses. I'm just going to read them just to highlight what the word of God says. Uh, Psalm 119.11 says, Hide 
your word in my heart. Uh, Psalm 119.105 says, The word of God is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. In other words, we don't know where we're going. We're lost. But the Bible's like a little flashlight here. It lights the way. Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God is flawless. This book is the word of God. It is flawless. In John 1.1, The word was God, and the word was with God. Acts 6.4 talks about the ministry of the word. There's a ministry of discerning the word uh, and handing out the word, teaching the word. Uh, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of God, uh, Christ, dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So the word of God is not just for going out and, and uh, proselytizing, but it's for correcting the church, for teaching the church, for regulating our thinking and our activities. In Hebrews 4.12, uh, says the word of God is living. The Bible, I'm sure you've experienced, you know, why do we read it over and over again? I mean, you know, typical, you know, there are people that read a lot of books, fiction, nonfiction, and they may read, occasionally may reread a book, but basically read a book, you know what happens. There's no real need to go back and read it again. With the Bible, you know, if, if you've read through it, well, I've read it, I know what, sa- what it says, but it's living because every time you go back, you can, you can get a different impression. It can affect you differently. It can meet your circumstances exactly what you are every time, where you are every time. And so the Word of God is living, so we need to devote uh, yourselves to that. Uh, the Word of God is uh, most important. Now, fellowship means like this. This is fellowship. Um, being together. Uh, you know, you talk, you hear, you hear that story about the, uh, you know, the, uh, the person, two, two men were talking. One was saying, I don't really need to go to church. You know, I can worship God at home. And there was a fireplace there, and he took one of the coals and he pulled out one of the coals, and shortly after that, the coal, the fire went out in the coal, and it got cold. And that just kind of means, like, we need to, we need to be together. You know, you can, sure, you can, you can pray and read at home, but there needs to be fellowship. You know, during the week, perhaps a Bible study or getting together with other Christians and meeting and praying, uh, but especially meeting together on Sundays. Um, you know, a verse that I read last time, back in November, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, let us not give up meeting Together is some in the habit of doing. For some, it's a habit. The habit is not meeting. Your habit should be meeting. Uh, let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approach. You know, we see that uh, eternity is getting closer to us. You know, you look at Revelation, you look at the signs in the sky and the moon and all those things. You see in the newspaper, you know, it looks like, you know, the end always looks like it's near. It has for years, but... We need to be ready as if it's today. So don't give up uh, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Also with fellowship, in Exodus 20, 24, it talks about a, uh, a fellowship offering. So fellowship uh, was back there in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God has called us into fellowship with Jesus. So fellowship uh, individually, corporately, fellowship uh, with Jesus. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, word of God, to fellowship, being together, talking about God, uh, worshiping God together, and uh, 
breaking of bread. Now we know uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11.23, if you want to turn there for a second, 1 Corinthians 11.23, we all... We're also very familiar with breaking of bread. Now, that again is a decision for each fellowship to make how you want to uh, partake in that. We do every five weeks so that the Sunday school people don't miss out. Uh, For me, that works fine. There are some churches want to do it every Sunday. My fear would be you just, after a while, it'd be just another ritual. I think, you know, the. What Jesus, when he met with his disciples, you understand that was, that was his last Passover and he was uh, getting ready to depart from them. It was a very important, solemn occasion. In um, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, you know, we're familiar with that. uh, But... um, the breaking of bread is not just something we do like, you know, read the announcements. It's a solemn occasion. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. Jesus wanted us to remember what he did, what happened that night, to go back in our minds 2,000 years and be there with his disciples and experience what it was like for them. You know, they're questioning him, you know, where are you going? I can come with you. I'll come with you now. You know, I'll die with you. I'll, you know, all these ridiculous uh, things they're trying to imagine in their mind. And as he was getting ready to uh, have that cup uh, of bitter uh, wine that he had to, uh, to do for us on the cross. So, so, apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, Uh, Those are things we do to remember the Lord uh, as uh, he uh, prepares to uh, return. Um, The next thing they devoted themselves was is to uh, prayer. And uh, I think prayer is just uh, so incredibly important. Uh, I think that it needs to really be part of our everyday life. And I don't want to dictate to you how you should pray. Uh, It's not my job to do that. It's between you and God. But I'm just suggesting that you consider your prayer life. I know when Dan Kinnaman comes here to teach, he always asks, are you in the Word? And it's like he's stabbing me because I'm not in the Word enough. So I'm very conflicted about that. And that is very, very important to be in the Word. And even though I know a lot of verses, I've read it many times, you need to be in the Word daily. But the second part of that is, are you in prayer? You need to be in prayer. You need to have a prayer life. It is so beneficial. These last few months, I've gone through some very, very difficult times at work where I thought I was at the end of everything. And you just think there's no hope. And I've, you know, get together with some fellow Christians on Wednesday night, and I can express my concerns, and we pray together. And it has saved my life. 
mentally because you just feel like there's no hope. And you go into prayer and you pray with friends and you pray to God and God says, you know, it's okay, it's okay. I know the plans I have for you. Prayer is really, really important. So pray. Again, I don't want to tell you how to pray. Just consider it. Find a place for prayer individually. Find a friend to pray with. Find a group to pray with. Uh, you know, after our services on Sunday, if you need prayer, come forward. That was another thing I had a hard time doing. Very hard for me to ask for prayer because I always thought, well, my prayers aren't important. Others have so many important things. But God cares about your every need. Prayer is, is very, very important. So I'm just going to read. I just looked at a couple of verses on prayer. I'm just going to uh, give a couple of uh, uh, ideas of what prayer is like. In, uh, in Luke 6.12, it says, Jesus spent the night in prayer. You know, from a human standpoint, strictly human standpoint, prayer makes no sense whatsoever. I pray in my mind, well, how can God hear me? Or I pray out loud, oh, now he can hear me. You know, like I said, there's 7 billion people in the world. God's paying attention to all of them. How can he hear me? Now, I know when I do something wrong, he's right there. He sees me. But when I'm praying, it's like, how could he possibly know I'm here? It's the funniest thing. But God hears our prayers. He can do that. He's God. We can't understand how amazing he is. But when you pray, he hears your prayer. And if Jesus had to spend the night in prayer, how much more? Do we need to pray? In Matthew 6, 9, he taught the disciples how to pray. Pray like this. It's not a formula prayer, but it was our Father, who art in heaven, I'll be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth it is as in heaven. Pray in that manner. You know, acknowledge God as your Father and as our Savior and, and give thanks for the things that he's given to you. We have requests. We can pray about anything. God doesn't ever say, that's silly, don't pray about it. He, he listens. Romans 8, 26, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. That is very, very good. Because we don't know what to pray sometimes. But it says the Holy Spirit, he takes our mindless thoughts and he puts them together and he makes them presentable and sends them off to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray continually. Now for me, I like to pray in the morning because if I don't get it done... I'll be off to work, and God will be left somewhere alone. Once I, once I have formal prayer in the morning, now I pray continually. I pray all throughout the, you know, Lord, help me. This is a bad situation. Help me here. You know, I feel like I'm in communication with God. I don't, you know, we have that, we've, we've made that bond, you know. So that works good for me. Pray continually. James 5 says, is any of you in trouble? Pray. Well, that's usually when we do pray. Well, now I'm in trouble. Now I'm really going to pray. And sometimes people say, you know, all we can do now is pray. Well, all we can do now is pray. We should have been praying all along. But when you're in trouble, we do pray. But when things are going great, pray still. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for anything, but with prayer and supplication, let your requests, with, and thanksgiving, let your requests be, be known to God. Uh, so God knows that we get anxious and we get in trouble. Ask for his help. In Acts 1.14, they all join together constantly in prayer. <clears throat> Proverbs 15.29, he hears the prayers of the righteous. 
Mark 9.29, this is an interesting thing. His disciples were trying to cast out demons, which God gave them the power to do, but they're having a particularly hard time with one. And, and he said, the, these demons can only come out by prayer. And that's, an inter- that's just an interesting thing, the power of prayer, where we get together and ask God to intervene. And again, uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, they devoted themselves to prayer, a strong love or loyalty to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, and again, Philippians 4, 6, I already said that. Don't be anxious in everything and pray. First uh, Peter 3, 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears attentive to their prayers. So again, like I said, from a human perspective, prayer, it doesn't make sense, you know. Sometimes you pray, you know, with family, and I don't always enjoy it because I, I assume they think I'm just babbling or speaking in the air. They don't understand that I'm speaking to God. And that's just an awesome, awesome thing. God is so awesome that he hears our prayers. His ears are attentive to their prayers. But as I said, from a human standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Does it make a lot of sense to you as a Christian to pray? Well, Jesus, in Matthew 14, 23, he went up on a mountainside himself to pray because he had to face a very difficult issue. But he prayed often because he wanted to meet with his Father in heaven. That was their, that was their fellowship. Their fellowship was through prayer. Because he left his throne in heaven. He left his father in heaven. He left his kingship in heaven. He's a man on earth. And he wanted to have that bond with his father. And that was done through prayer. Especially with the cross before him. Matthew 26, 36. When Jesus went to Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And again, the question that I have for me is if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? And so we have the model of the church in Acts 2.42, devoting ourselves to the word of God, apostles' teaching, uh, being in fellowship with God, being in fellowship with believers, uh, celebrating communion, the breaking of bread, and appreciating what Jesus did for us when his blood was shed for our sin and prayer. Again, if Jesus needed to pray, uh, how much more should we pray? And I can make this guarantee it will change your life. It really, really will. If you're not, again, my suggestion is do it. So, Again, uh, those are what I, that's what I've been thinking about. And a lot of things that we talk about here are just uh, trying to honor God and bring glory to him. And uh, so if you try to stick with his word and what God says and just present it in that form, then God will be glorified in that. And so... I appreciate uh, your being here today. I appreciate this fellowship. Uh, We've been here for a long time, and I think God has great plans for us here. 
uh, to prosper us and not to harm us. And uh, if we collectively put our efforts together, uh, great things will happen for the glory of God. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to uh, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to rescue us and give us strength. And thank you for the gift and the power of prayer. And we just want to tell you that you are an awesome God. And we pray that you would help us to do what is right in your sight. And uh, just pray that you'd bless us uh, this day as we go out in peace. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.